Boston Sports Syndicate. Welcome, everybody, to the latest episode of Above the Parquet. We are brought to you by the Boston Sports Syndicate. ATP is the podcast on the Syndicate Network that talk Boston Celtics basketball and everything NBA. I'm your host, Maddie Kiwoom. As always, I am joined by the co-host of Above the Parquet, our head Celtics writer. He also writes about the Patriots, and he's a member of the Fire the Muskets podcast, Mr. Derek McVeigh. What's going on, Derek? Not much, Maddie. How are you? Uh, you know, I can't complain. There's a lot of sports going on, and... Uh, <laughs> Two teams in the Boston area in the playoffs, so I can't really complain. And you know what? Guess what? We're not alone. It's, just not, it's not me and Derek today. It's, there's a third. It's not the great Blogino, but I think it's a very, 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 very special guest. He is filling in, again, like I said, for the great Blogino, a fantastic new writer for the Boston Sports Syndicate, Nick Galley. What's up, Nick? Great to be back. Great to be back. Glad to be on again, guys. Just made the trek back to Massachusetts from Wisconsin, so we're back in the home element now, feeling good. Celtics series coming up against the Nets. Really looking forward to it. Also really looking forward to being on tonight, so I know we got a great discussion coming up for sure. For sure. It's going to be a good one. Going to be a good one. Super pumped to have you on once again. And I was going to say way to well, wait until the good weather hits Boston, but you're in Wisconsin, so it wasn't like you were sitting on the beach for the last couple of months. No, definitely not the beach at all. Uh, you know, kind of like a tundra out there uh, until like <laughs> April. So, uh, you know, anytime the weather goes above like 40 degrees, I, I break out the shorts, the tank tops, the sandals, everything. And uh, definitely nice to be back in the warm weather for sure. 42 degrees outside, but the beach vibes are still flowing. Exactly, exactly. Love to hear it. And you brought up the uh, the big playoff matchup between the Boston Celtics and the Brooklyn Nets. We will absolutely have our preview and some predictions for you. But first, why don't we go ahead and just do a quick – well, not necessarily quick. We don't do really much quick here on the podcast. But the regular season is now over. The Celtics finish off 36-36, and 36, which is good for – or should I say okay for the fourth place in the Atlantic Division. Uh, let's go – let's start with you, Derek. What, just some quick thoughts about, you know, the, the season as a whole and some of the, you know – things that, that that caught your eye in the 2020-21 season for the Boston Celtics. I think it was just from a fan it was it was frustrating to watch how inconsistent they were. You know, they at some nights they'd give, you know, consistent effort for for 48 minutes and they'd look like a team that could really beat anyone on any given night and then they have other nights where they just either took an opponent too lightly, um were trying to take nights off. I don't know what it was, but that that same effort and uh, you know energy wasn't there, and they lost a a ton of of winnable games, and that's the reason you know they have such a a daunting first round matchup in the the playoffs. And I think you know maybe at the beginning of the year we were all excited that this was Tatum and Brown's team now, and you know they were going to lead them. I think maybe we discounted how difficult it is for guys that young, you know, 24 and 23, to lead a team through an NBA season, and not just a a traditional NBA season, but a, you know, a jam packed season where they squished in 72 games in a, you know, a four or five month span. They had to deal with all the COVID restrictions where they couldn't really, you know, gather off the court like they usually would um, and, and create that, you know, that team camaraderie and have those, those bonding moments. 
So I think when you factor all that in, it it makes sense that this this season had a lot of ups and downs, uh, but still frustrating to to watch. Yeah, frustrating is the perfect word to put on this team for this season. What a roller coaster ride it was. Uh, you know, it just didn't go the way I think most of us thought. You know, we all sat here on this very show and talked preseason about the excitement and what could come of this season, and it just never truly materialized. So, Nick, why don't you take it away and give some of your just quick initial thoughts on the 2020-2021 season? Yeah, I would say just watching this team, if I could describe it, I would just say, like, yucky. I mean, it was just – there were a lot of nights I just didn't want to watch Celtics basketball because there was really no energy and there was really no passion. And I think that's something that the Celtics have kind of lived on for their entire history of the franchise, especially over the last decade. I mean, go back to, you know, 2010 to now, there's been a lot of ups and downs, that's for sure. There's been some really, really bad seasons, and there's been some really, really good ones. And as of late, as you've kind of seen throughout the decade, Boston has really relied on passion, grit, intensity, everyone kind of coming together, playing a role in the team. And there were a lot of moments this year where you just didn't see that. Guys just kind of coming out like they didn't want to be there. A lot of missed opportunities. A lot of times you just kind of felt like the team came out and just said, all right, it's a regular season game, whatever. You know, I mean, you don't want to see that from a team that has so much potential. You don't want to see that from any team, but especially a team that has so much potential and a lot of guys on this team that need to learn that Celtics culture. You know, you got guys like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown who are very young, who have proven themselves so far, but they're still learning. And I think we often forget that based off the success they've had, but they're still learning. And then you got guys like Peyton Pritchard, Aaron Naismith, you know, Langford, guys like that who haven't had a lot of playtime in the grand scheme of things. And they're still learning this culture as well. Can they be, you know, a pivotal piece of the roster in the future? Possibly, but they need to learn the Celtics culture. And I feel like a lot of times this season, this team did not live up to that Celtics culture. And I think they really underperformed. A lot of people were expecting this Celtics team to be top three in the East and to, to not even be top three in their division. I mean, I know you really don't look at divisions much in the NBA, but my God, I mean, it was terrible. It was terrible. I think when you look at this team and the expectations they had coming into the season, this is one of the most disappointing seasons in the 21st century. I mean, come on. I mean, there have been years that have been bad, but the expectations weren't really there this year. People thought this team was going to be special coming off an Eastern Conference finals appearance in such a bizarre season. You're coming into it with Kemba healthy, Tatum, Brown leading this team. Little did we know we'd get Fournier in Boston as well. And this team just underperformed. Tough to see, but they're still in the playoffs now. They've made it. So it's going to be interesting to see how this team responds now. But really, 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 really big underperformance from this Boston Celtics team. In the preseason, you know, they brought in the, you know, you mentioned all the core guys that we were all excited about. But then at the time, it seemed pretty exciting that they brought in Tristan Thompson and Jeff Teague. They seemed like I thought they were going to be two, you know, pros that came in and, and did the little things and kind of provided a little bit more of that kind of structure that we thought they lacked at the end of last year that led to the loss to the Miami Heat. Now, both of you guys kind of quickly alluded to the Celtics culture. I believe that this is one of the last teams in the entire league that still kind of believe in the lore of the jersey, kind of like the the last of the team that cares about the, the name on the front 
opposed to the one in the back. Do you think that is detrimental to their overall kind of growth within this league nowadays? I I honestly don't know. I think I think that's how you kind of expect Celtics basketball to be, right? Like you expect every player that comes into Boston to play for the name on the front of the jersey. And, you know, most guys do that. Like guys that come to mind, Isaiah Thomas did that. Avery Bradley did that. You know, that era. Jay Crowder did that. You know, KG did that. I mean, he was just on his presser the other day talking about how the only regret of his whole career is he didn't come to Boston earlier. Exactly. I mean, those guys, you think of those guys and you think, all right, those guys really, truly loved Boston and they were going to do everything they could to put their bodies on the line for this team. And now I look I look at the team now and I want to think the same thing. And I do think the same thing about some of these guys. But I look at Tatum. And I look at Brown, who are obviously the two biggest pieces. Brown, I kind of see it. Tatum, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love Jason Tatum. I really do. But part of me doesn't really see Jason Tatum as being a guy that's going to be in Boston for, like, his entire career. Like, I, I don't know. I just – I want him to be a lifelong Celtic so bad. But there are moments. There are lapses where I'm like, okay, is Jason Tatum really out there? trying to get it for this city, or is he just trying to kind of get his? And he is an isolation basketball player. There's no doubt about it. And, and you just kind of watch his play style sometimes, and you compare it to those guys we brought up before, KG, Isaiah Thomas, Avery Bradley, Jay Crowder. And while all of their skill levels varied, you know, let, let's not compare Avery Bradley to KG now, but all their skill levels varied. One thing was constant. You could tell they were team-first guys. Is Jason Tatum a team-first guy? Honestly, I don't know. Like, I don't know. There are times, even though my brain wants me not to think that he, you know, could be a guy that ends up in a different jersey someday. Part of me, part of me kind of sees like a, a little bit of a spark. Like, okay, I think Jason Tatum is, is worried about himself a little bit and maybe not this team as much as he should be. Uh, you know, obviously, we don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Might be a great locker room guy, might be a great team guy. But there are some moments when he's out on the court. I think I mentioned it in the last podcast we did or the last one that I was on anyway. You know, it's like every quarter, whenever the buzz is coming down, Jason Tatum is a guy with the ball in his hands. And there are sometimes guys open. It's the little things like that 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 make me question his true dedication to the name on the front of the jersey. That's a good point that you bring up. Uh, Derek, you know, what are your thoughts on kind of the, the, the core guys living up to the Boston Celtics lore in the culture that's you know one of the most prestigious in all the sports yeah i think it's tough i mean i still think that tatum and brown they're still so young and i mean this was truly tatum and brown's first season as as leaders you know they could kind of take a, a back seat to to some of the other veterans in the the first few seasons so i think it's kind of too early to to form a, an opinion or, or a judgment on that uh, Tatum's definitely, you know, selfish at times on the court, but I think part of that speaks to the, the guys he's surrounded by. I mean, when, when he's out there with and alongside like Romeo Langford, Grant Williams, Semi Ojale, like, what is he supposed to do? He's, he's got to take matters into his own hands. So I think, you know, if they could build a little bit better of a supporting cast, maybe he becomes a little bit more of a facilitator and, and, you know, isn't taking, um, you know, bad shots or, you know, he's looking to pass a little bit more than than he is right now. But I think just the way this can team is this team is constructed, especially now, you know, heading into the playoffs without Jalen Brown, 
you got a banged up Robert Williams. I mean, he he's going to be taking a, a bunch of shots, and he, he has to because they're, they're only going to go as far as he takes them. Let me ask you guys a very painful question, and I want you to be honest. Throw out style of play. This isn't a style of play question. This is a mentality question. Is Jason Tatum more Carmelo Anthony than D. Wade? Oh, oh I don't know. I I still I think it's still still too kind kind of early to to make that call. I mean, he definitely has his own style. I mean, this has come up a lot recently, right? And how he's not super vocal or, or super emotional and and demonstrative on the court. But guys seem to like look to him as as a leader based on what people have said. Um, you know that he's got his own style of leadership, and and guys look to him. Um, uh, I don't know. That's that's tough. That's that's a tough one to answer. I I hate to say that he's um, you know he's more mellow than than D Wade because I think we all know that's that's not what we would want in a you know what Wade obviously is a, a championship caliber player and mellow for for how talented he is you know just was never never that guy. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not quite sure. Nick, what are your thoughts on that question? Again, yeah. I mean, as Derek said, tough question. If I was looking at it from like what we see, I'd say yes. But as Derek mentioned, guys really do seem to look up to him and, you know, have admiration for him. So I think there has to be something that he does that we don't see behind the scenes that differentiates him from a guy like Carmelo Anthony uh, when it comes to the mindset. I think if I if I had to guess, I would think Tatum is, is really vocal in practices off the court and stuff like that. And then once he gets on the court, it's strictly business, kind of like a Kobe Bryant type. I mean, you know, Jason Tatum looks up to Kobe Bryant. He tries to have that mama mentality. And, and Kobe was like that. I mean, Kobe obviously was a mentor. He was a great teacher to younger guys and his teammates. And then once he got into the game, it, it was just his cutthroat mentality. I think that's what Tatum kind of tries to replicate. And that's why I think people might not see that. If you're just looking at it as, okay, what is Jason Tatum like on the court? Yeah, I think comparing him to Melo isn't the craziest thing. He's more of Melo than D-Wade. But when you look at the, the full scope of it, what is he doing in practices? What is he doing off the court? You know, what is he doing in the team group chat? What's he saying in that? I think that's where you kind of see that, all right, Tatum is more of a leader than he might portray himself to be in the middle of the game. And, you know, he's been a leader in the middle of the game at times, but at other times he's been quiet and, and kind of playing this isolation form of basketball. But I think there's more to Tatum than we see, and I think that's where the admiration comes from his teammates and those around him. Yeah, and it, I mean, his for as much as Tatum loves iso ball, it did seem like he was kind of taking the role of a playmaker a little bit more this season. You know, he had 26.4 points a game, but he also had 7.4 rebounds and three point, uh, 4.3 assists. So he was doing a little bit more than just scoring. So it is kind of unfair maybe to call him Carmelo this early on in his career. Now, Carmelo, Carmelo Anthony's a great scorer, and, you know, he was one of my favorites growing up. But, you know, that's not the type of player you want leading this team. Derek, I have one quick question for you before we move on to another little topic here. Tell the people about Marcus Smart. Did he have a good year, bad year, and different year? You are the president of the Marcus Smart fan club, and I do not—I just don't think that the listeners would be happy if we go this whole show and don't give a little bit of a spotlight to, to Marcus Smart. Always happy to to pump the tires of Marcus Smart. Look, I mean, he's like the 
I think his season is kind of a a screenshot of the Celtics season on a whole. I think he had an inconsistent season. He was up and down. He had some some really poor stretches of play, and he had some some great stretches of play. The problem with the thing I have with Marcus Smart and and people that dislike him is they just they stick to this narrative of his how he takes poor shots and cost the team games are taking poor shots, you know, late in late in games when he should be passing it more. But if you actually look at the numbers in terms of shots in I think what they call like clutch situations, he's not taking more shots than Tatum. He's not taking more shots than Jalen Brown. But like he's he's not the guy that people portray him to be. He still he certainly takes some some bad shots. Um but I think people just get so caught up on like history and, and some of the games that he's had in the past and just it's an easy crutch for them to to lean on when they you know try and discredit what he brings to the floor um I mean his defense wasn't at the level that it's been at consistently you know he had some great stretches of of individual defense throughout the season but there were other times where it looked like you know maybe he wasn't uh like giving it his all or he just was trying to do too too much and he just looked a little like a like a lost like he was lost out there and and trying to do too much instead of trying to to play within his role and that that's the thing they need if he stays within his role of a you know individual defense facilitate take shots when they come to you uh, attack the basket look to get other guys involved that's where smarts at his best i mean he averaged a career high in points this year a career high in assists the only celtic to average more than 5 assists uh, his shooting numbers are are what they are you know like uh, you know, right around 40%, 33% from three for him. I mean, I, th- I think you take that. If he's hitting one out of every three threes, I think that's that's fine. Um, I still think he's a, a valuable piece of this team moving forward, even though it seems like a lot of Celtic Nation has, has turned on him. Since the last time we got together and had a show, Jason, I mean, Jason, Jalen Brown went down for the rest of the season with that wrist injury. Can you guys just kind of tell me when did he do this? I've heard it was against the Lakers on April 15th when he fell, but then he was nursing a knee injury over the last week and a half of the regular season, but then he was shut down with this wrist injury thing. So can you guys talk about that and what you've heard about this this pretty serious injury? Yeah, I think it's it's one more of the more of one of those injuries that's kind of been nagging him, I think. And you know, that Lakers game, I think he definitely aggravated it. And now it's just gotten to the point where, you know, listen, I, this is what I think ultimately, I think, could he probably play right now? Possibly, possibly. But I, I think they're kind of overshooting it, playing things on the safe side, shut him down because it, I mean, Jalen Brown, I mean, he is, he is part of your future. I mean, he is part of your future plans of this franchise. So I, I think, is it a possibility he could play in the playoffs right here? Maybe, you know, I saw him on the bench the other night. He looked like he was itching to play. So maybe, but I, I think Celtics are going with, all right, better safe than sorry. You know, he he probably wouldn't have played the entire span of the playoffs, however many games that would be. But, uh, you know, it, they could have said, all right, Jalen, you might be able to come back late, uh, later on if we go deep in the playoffs. But I think they just said, you know what, shut him down for the season, make sure he gets his wrist back. Because as we saw with Kemba Walker, you know, you kind of play these guys with nagging injuries and it can lead into something really really serious so I think they're being very safe with Jalen Brown right now I think he just kind of had this nagging injury and now it's to the point where it's kind of on the fence if you play him it could lead to something much much more serious so 
I think that's why they just shut him down for the remainder of the season. Yeah, that wrist injury was pretty serious. A, a report came out from Hoops Hype, Hoops Hype about a week and a half ago saying that this surgery typically takes a three- to six-month recovery time. Now, who knows exactly what they're going to do with it, but it seems like he's done for the whole year. And like you said, Nick, shut him down. Don't risk it. If it's that big of a, a, an injury, why aggravate it? Because, you know, it's if, if you're going to lose in the first round or, or not, it doesn't really matter. You don't want to lose a player like you know, Jalen Brown for next year too. So that's that's that in a in a nutshell. Next next thing I want to do here in the show notes I sent out because we don't want to only talk about bad things that happen with the Celtics. We want to talk about some good things too. So why don't we do a little high point low point of the season? Uh, I say we start with the low. Let's get the lows out of the way. So Derek, what was your low point? of the 2020-2021 Boston Celtics season. Uh, I'll tell you what, it was hard to pick and that's what that's kind of a microcosm of this season that there were a few moments that, you know, could be considered a a low point. There were moments at this season where you're like, "Oh, this is the low point." And then a few weeks later, something else happened. You're like, "Oh no, this is the low point." Um I'll I'll say for me as a as a fan, just from watching so much NBA, I'm of the mindset that the game really is never over and I'll no matter how bad, like how big they get down, I'll stay and watch it to the bitter end. This is probably the first season that I can remember where I've turned off multiple Celtics games just because of their their lack of effort, intensity, and energy, and it's just they had no hopes of of winning. So I mean, they had that, and they happened all. They all seem to happen on afternoon games. So I am so thankful they don't have any afternoon games coming up in this Brooklyn series. But they had that early that game early on against the Knicks where they got smoked. They had a game. And then afternoon against the Wizards where they got smoked. Uh, same thing happened with Charlotte. But I think the the moment, the ultimate low point came a few weeks ago when they lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Looking at a Thunder team that had lost 14 straight, then beat Boston, went on to lose their next nine. So a team that was one and, what is that, 23 in, in over a span of 24 games, and the only win was in Boston against a Celtics team that was jockeying for for playoff positioning. There's there was no excuse to lose that game and lose it in the way they did. I mean, it, they only lost by four at the end, but it was a game that they were down double digits multiple occasions to a a vastly inferior Thunder team. So that one that one took the cake for me. Nick, what was your lowest point for the Boston Celtics this year? I think if I had to pick if I had to pick one low point, it, it would probably be you know the Celtics getting absolutely schooled by the Chicago Bulls over the season because what well, one my roommate out of school huge Bulls fan so I had to deal with that. Second of all, it's a game yeah, that's not expect- good. You don't it, want to no, get razzed by your boys. It's terrible. The, the sports. It's <laughs> terrible, especially when you're you're from Massachusetts. You you know how we all are. We we talk a lot of smack. I mean it is what it is, and. Uh, you know, of course, I was doing my talking before the games, and then the Celtics come out and they just lay an egg. So it was terrible. It was horrible. So that's my personal point. If I had to pick one over the course of the season, it's not really a single moment, but I think it's the trend that the Celtics kind of found themselves in more times than not where they would. It happened so much. It was ridiculous. They'd go down by like 20 to 30 points, and then they'd come back. They'd be within like five, three to five points. And then they lose the game. Then they would just kind of give up with like two, three minutes left in the fourth quarter. And that trend just kept happening. It didn't matter what team it was. It could be a good team. It could be a bad team. 
but that happened so often. And even in some games where they won, that game against Minnesota that went into overtime, listen, that was a great win, but you shouldn't be going into overtime with the Timberwolves. I mean, come on. Come on. They're the Timberwolves. I understand they have some good pieces, but the, the record was just horrific. It was horrific. You're the Boston Celtics. you got to beat teams like that that are bottom feeders of the Western Conference. So I think that trend throughout the season where you just kind of go down by a ton, you're down, you're seemingly down and out at half, you come out in the third quarter, you chip away a little bit, then through the first five, six minutes of the fourth, you play with a ton of intensity, work your way back into it, and then you let the game slip away. It's a terrible trend, it gets fans excited, and then lets them down, and and it's just, it's just a horrible way to be for a basketball team, and on top of that, you can't get down by 20, 30 points in the NBA and suspect or um, and expect to have a successful season. You just can't do it, and the Celtics did that far too many times. My low point is actually kind of hindsight. Like at the time, I didn't realize it was such a low point, but as I look back on the entirety of the season, this is my low point, and it's it was the second game of the entire season. The Celtics were just coming off a great opening night win against the Bucks, that 122-121 victory. Then they, they were saddled up at home against Brooklyn. And here we go, boys. Durant, Irving, taking on the Celtics. Brown, Tatum. Let's go. Let's see what everyone's made of. This is the time that they could have put their foot down and made a stamp on the division and the conference as a whole. And they come out and get absolute schwacked. Lose by almost 30 points. Durant and Irving go off for 66 combined points. They were a combined plus 62 on the night. Shot the lights out. And it was just, it just proved to be, over the course of the season, a stamp game. It really showed the hierarchy of the Eastern Conference in game two. And at the time, I had no idea it was going to be like that. I thought, oh, we'll bounce back. No, they went 0-3 against the, the Nets this year. And it's just not a good sign going forward. So, you know, when I look back on the year, getting your asses kicked to the Nets in game two, boy, that was a low point for me. Yeah, that was a that was a bad – it was a tough game to watch as a fan. I mean, just yeah, – because obviously you play Kyrie. Anytime now that you play Kyrie, I mean, you want to beat him. You want to beat him. You, and you he had really just saged your court like in the preseason a week before. Like there was just all this crap. Everyone's saying like this team's a beautiful, but you know, you can't win with these babies. You know, I didn't say that. Actually, I did say that. That was my call. Uh, bad call. Bad, bad call. But yeah, it was terrible. Tough game. Tough game. Super tough. All right. That's in it. That's it of the, of the, of the low points. Let's talk about some high points. So Nick, why don't you kick us off? Actually, you know what? I, I'll get it started because I went last this time. I'll go first this time. My high point of the year was the, April 17th game at home against the Golden State Warriors. They came back from down 14. It was an old-school shootout between Tatum and Curry. Tatum went for 44. Curry went for 47. And at the end, when the dust settled, the Celtics came out on top, 119-114. It was in the midst of one of their, you know, best stretches of the season. They were, uh, you know, they had just won... I think it was two of three, uh, something like that. They were on that West Coast trip. They won that big game. Yeah, that was in the stretch where they had that overtime game that you mentioned earlier. They went to Denver and ended up spanking Denver. They had that great win where Tatum hit the big shot for the Celtics against Portland. They beat the Lakers. They come home, and they beat the Golden State Warriors in a great basketball game. That is where I thought that this team was going to find it. Boy, was I wrong, but that was still my high point of the night. Nick, what was your high point of the season? This is a very easy choice for me, and it's going to be March 26th 
Uh, in Milwaukee against the Bucks, Celtics win 122-114. Uh, I'll give you some background as to why this was my high right here. My freshman year, I'd gone to a game in February, Celtics-Bucks. Boston lost. I was also at game two and game five of that playoff series that year. Uh, game two, Boston obviously lost. Game five, they got eliminated. And then last year, before COVID shut everything down, I was at a Celtics-Bucks game in January. Boston lost that game. So anytime that I stepped into Pfizer Forum with Celtics gear on, this team got absolutely smoked. And I was hoping the mojo would change this year, and it did. Uh, they were coming off a two-point loss just a couple nights earlier. It was the game Tice missed the three in the corner and then got traded right after that. <laughs> um, rest in peace, Daniel. I'm so sorry we did that to you. But um, I would say that's my high point right there just because there was a stretch in that game where Boston was hitting every single three. And, and for a second, it just felt like the Celtics of old. I mean, it just felt like that Celtics team that played with, you know, fury and passion and fire, and they looked great against one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference. And at that moment, I thought it was kind of a turning point of the season. As we have come to find out, there were so many points during the season where the Celtics looked like they were going to turn things around, and then they just kind of, you know, fizzled out a couple games later. They never really put anything great together. But that was definitely my high point right there. It was the first win I've got to see on the road um, by the Seas. So one and four now, honestly, you know, a nice little uh, 25 for one and four. Yeah, 20 percent win percentage, whatever. Same thing. But uh, yeah, I'm hoping I'm hoping more of the same in the future here. But Celtics on a one game win streak in Milwaukee when I'm attending. So we'll see what happens from from now on. But that was my high point of the year for sure. Nick, please tell me after that victory, you walked down to the court and did the whole KG. Anything is possible. Walked out, walked out. Looked at my roommate. I was like, man, you know, I got to get in a bar fight tonight. I mean, this is just fantastic. <laughs> uh, I can confirm I did get, I did not get in any bar fights. So, oh, thank God. So we got home safe. But uh, I was feeling good after that. I See, you know, it was one of those moments where, like, I went in expecting them to lose and then uh, came out feeling really good. So, yeah, great game, and I, I was shouting anything as possible afterwards. People were a little confused around me, but <laughs> I knew what it meant. That's all that matters, really. So That is all that matters. So, Derek, what was your high point of the season? Yeah, I'll go back to uh, almost a month ago, Friday night, April 30th, against the Spurs, and what could have been their low point of – could have been a low point of the season, um, but they – they turned it around. We all know they had, you know, overcame a 32-point deficit at home. Tatum went off for 60. Um, but it was just, it was one of those few games, as Nick was talking about in the with the Milwaukee game, where they showed that Celtics, uh, you know, mystique, right? That that grit and balls, that fight, that fire, that never say die attitude. You know, coming back from 32 down, Tatum obviously going off for 60 is incredible, but. Aaron Neesmith had 16 off the bench, one of his, if not his best game as a, a rookie. Uh, you know, Smart had 12 assists. Tristan Thompson had 15 rebounds. Like, that that game for me was was where I thought, all right, like, this, they're showing that, that Celtic spirit at a perfect time of the year, getting ready for that stretch run. Then they go and lose six of their final eight games and end up in the play-in anyway. But at the time, I was feeling pretty good. But obviously... As Nick said, they had plenty of those moments throughout the year where it felt like, oh, they're turning a corner, but they just never did. Yeah, that's what made this season so tough was there were 
it was just a constant roller coaster ride. You just felt the ups and then felt like a day would go by and you'd be at the bottom already. You'd be like, how did they get here? I thought they were turning it around. But they obviously didn't. I mean, 36 and 36 is the perfect record for them to have considering the it had because it's 500. One step forward, one step back. Two steps forward, two steps back. That was the year of the Boston Celtics in a nutshell. So let's move on. The they're like I said, they're playing against the Brooklyn Nets this year this year in the first round. But before we talk about that and preview that, let's quickly just go over that play in game because that whole thing, uh we didn't think they'd be in it. Let's be honest. None of us here thought that the the Boston Celtics would be in this NBA uh play in tournament, but there they were, playing for the seventh seed, and they came out victorious playing the uh the Washington Bullets there. They won one eighteen, one ten. So before we talk about the game, I want to hear your thoughts. Now that we've seen it in action, now that we've witnessed kind of the play-in and watched the vibes, what are your thoughts on the NBA doing this play-in tournament? I absolutely hate it. I mean, you know, I I think I mentioned this last time I was on too, and I think Derek kind of mentioned it as well. I It just, I understand it, but like I hate it. I, I just don't switch things up if they've been, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. You know, I hate to I hate to bring in the cliche, but I mean, don't be switching things up. I, I, like, why? Why are you doing this? I have no idea. And was it kind of entertaining? Like, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, a little bit. But if you just change something like this, if you change a playoff format or your ability to get into the playoffs, I should say. I mean, where do you draw the line? Like, I feel like they could just change everything from now on. I mean, just keep things the same. Like. I, I feel like a lot of leagues now are trying to come up with these innovative ways to, to do things different. In the MLB, you got the extra inning rule. In NFL football, you got 17 games now, which I think a lot of people actually like, myself included. I understand that one. It's not a huge change of the actual gameplay, um, and it doesn't really affect much. It's one extra game. But stuff like this, I just don't like it. You know, I mean, first eight teams – in each conference, get into the playoffs. It's as simple as that. I feel you don't have to make it more complicated. Rather, now it's, you know, two teams play, or four teams play. Uh, two teams are obviously the higher-seeded teams, and then the lower-seeded teams. Uh, the better seeds advance if they win, and, and the loser of that better-seeded game plays the winner of the worst-seeded game. I, I, I can't even say it. It's, so, it's just so, like, I don't even know why they I, – I guess the COVID thing, but – is this something that's going to last? Because I don't want it to. Like, I want it to be normal next year. I mean, do you see this lasting? Uh, I, I think I do because I, I, it's all going to come down to the ratings. Mm-hmm. It's all going to come down to the TV stuff. If if the networks like it and the commercials pay for it, we'll see this forever. No well, doubt. yeah, I think I think I saw, like, I think I was listening to WEEI a couple days ago or, or the day after the, uh, the Wizards-Celtics game, and I heard the rating. I heard it was like, the most viewers since like opening night or something, it was like four or five million people, which I mean, I understand in this area why that happened. But I, I feel like if I was living in Los Angeles, a, a Celtics Wizards playing game wouldn't really be on my docket. I think I'd be watching like the Dodgers or the Padres instead, something like that. But if people do like it, I, that's what sucks, too. I think that's something. It's, that's very rational. Like TV ratings kind of determining what works and what doesn't in sports. That's like an understandable uh, rationale to have, but I feel like it's also a scary thought kind of. I mean, I, I don't really want ratings dictating sports, changing things up, but it's probably something we're going to see, and, and I just don't like the play-in tournament. I, I hope they switch things around, go back to normal, but 
as you said, Maddie, I, I don't know if they will. I really don't. Derek, what are your thoughts on that whole play-in tournament? Yeah, I mean, it's a it's a money grab, right? I mean, they're again, it's it's for the ratings. They're trying to make as much money as possible. And credit to them, like they had some some great and entertaining games. They got some good ratings, but they also benefited from having LeBron James and Steph Curry, you know, playing each other and a, a team like the Boston Celtics, which is a big market. You know, if they, you know, next year if they've got the Wizards, Pacers, Hornets, and, you know, Bulls or, or Hawks. Like, is that as big of a draw? Are the ratings going to be as good? Or in the West, the Lakers aren't going to be in the play-in again, you know, next year. So I think that the ratings are going to be boosted this year because of who is in it, but they're not going to be able to rely on the superstars being in those those play-in games every year. Adam Silver definitely wants to keep it going. He's He's come out and said as much, but I just wonder if, if they're going to be able to get the players to sign on, because I don't know if I've heard any player come out and, and speak in favor of the tournament of the, the playing tournament. And I, I think it's stupid too. Like, like I said, credit to them. Cause they got some intriguing games out of it and, and good ratings, but, and I know you want to uh, like D de, incentivize tanking, but you've got teams that are six, seven games under 500 that now have a shot to make the playoffs. And, what they win a couple games, they get the eight seed, and then they get absolutely waxed in the first round by a, you know, a Utah or a Philadelphia. Uh, I just, I don't think there's a need to to extend it. Eight, eight out of fifteen teams is is plenty. There's no need to to add in a couple more. And that, like, why stop at ten? Why not just include uh, a playing game for for the bottom, you know, eight teams? And everyone who it doesn't make the playoffs has a chance to to get that final seed. I just think it's 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 silly. It, there's no need to to change it. It made sense in the bubble to try and get teams to to play hard and incentivize teams to want to go down to the bubble. Um, but but now that things are kind of back to normal, it just doesn't make much sense. Yeah, it, this will probably be the only time you have the Celtics and the Lakers in the playing tournament. LeBron and Tatum, like I, it's Curry was in. I mean, they they, they were completely star studded in this tournament. When more often than not, I can't imagine that being the case. Me personally, I, I I love I didn't like the I didn't like it at first, and then when I saw it in action, I kind of liked the idea of it, because anytime you can get teams to play for something, it, it leads to good good uh, sports and a nice competition. But on the other side of things, like you said, Derek, eight of fifteen teams already make the playoffs. The Wizards were thirty four and thirty eight. The other two teams were even worse than that. Like, are we really gonna put these teams that can't even get to five hundred and give them a chance to get in the playoffs? I'm not. I don't really like it. Now let's just say if the if it was four teams that made the playoffs and it was a super small field, then expanding it and have a play-in tournament would be cool because you'd be getting good teams that have been fighting all year to get in, trying to still get in, as opposed to these teams that coasted all year long. We're probably debating tanking versus not tanking, and now they're all of a sudden playing for something. It's just uh, it's not for me. I'm not really a big fan if I'm being honest. Yeah, but, and. Maddie, you said, um, you know, it's it's great when you have teams like playing for something. It makes for intriguing television. I agree with you, but they they had two games that were just awful. Like that Pacers Hornets game was terrible. The Pacers jumped out to a huge lead, and the Hornets never had a shot. And then last night, that Wizards Pacers game was awful. So like these teams had something to play for, and still it was a an awful product. Um, so that's that's what's gonna that that can happen. You know, when you have teams that are six or seven games under 500, you can get absolute duds of games. So I just think you're, you're setting yourself up for some, uh, you know, some failure and some poor ratings in the future. 
Definitely. This is like one of those things where you catch lightning in a bottle this year and then next year it's even worse. Right. You know, it's one thing in the NCAA when you get these playing games. These teams are – they might only have five losses on the year, but they're from a small school. So they're playing in the playing tournament to get into the big dance. This isn't that. These are professionals. You're they're, you're probably burdening them more than you're getting them excited by putting them in this playing game. A lot of these guys are probably pissed that they had to cancel their tee times because two weeks ago they didn't even think they were going to be playing, but here they are now. But that's enough of it in general. Let's just talk real quick about the game. It's only There's really not much to talk about, but Nick, what are your thoughts on that playing game and that win for the Celtics? I think it was a nice preview of what we're going to see in this Brooklyn series, and that is Jason Tatum just putting the team on his back. But another thing I do want to point out here, is Kemba Walker's play as well and how vital Kemba Walker's play has been in like the last week or two here. He's been on a really, really, really hot stretch. He's looking like the Kemba Walker of old. And with Jalen Brown out, I mean, Kemba Walker's production is going to be absolutely vital to this team. So while a lot of people looked at Tatum, yeah, he had the 50 piece. Obviously, you should look at Tatum. You know, he is pretty much the biggest reason Boston won that game, understandably so. Kemba Walker also had an unbelievable game as well. Did a great job in that one as well. Uh, so I think what I saw in that game is something we haven't seen from the Celtics a lot this season. And it was like they, they played a normal a normal game. Like that's how a win should be. Close throughout the first half. They pull away in the second and then really put their foot down late in the game and come away with the win. And that's what I want to see for the rest of the year. I want However long the rest of the year is. That's what I want to see. If this team wins any more games, the win better look like that. I don't want to see this team going down by 40 points, coming back, and then going into double overtime. We don't need any of that. Do what you did in that Wizards game. I know the Nets are much, much, much better than the Wizards. You have to keep in mind, too, Bradley Beal was dealing with some injury. He really didn't look himself, but the Celtics played a good basketball game. And I think, you know, if they want to have any chance against the Nets— they played the perfect game to give them some momentum. So that's one thing that, that really should have a lot of fans pretty hopeful about this Brooklyn series. It's going to be a tough one, but there were some really, really positive signs in that playing game that Boston had against the Wizards. So before we do that quick, before we dive into to the next series, Derek, what are your thoughts real quick on that playing victory against the Wizards? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought there was a lot to like. I mean, I'll be honest, going into that game, I was a little nervous because the Wizards were one of the hottest teams in the NBA and just with their offensive firepower. And the way sure Westbrook this, was playing, he was on yeah, absolute fire. on yeah. another planet. And Beal had, have, has had some huge games against the Celtics in the past. You just you just never know. In, in a one-game situation like that with those two guys and how explosive they can be, you, you just never know what's going to happen. So credit to the Celtics for playing a great game. I thought, obviously, Tatum was amazing and, and superb, but some of the other things I liked in that game, uh, you know, early in that second quarter, you know, Celtics got off to a great start, and then early in that second quarter, they kind of fizzled out, and the Wizards went on a bit of a run and opened up like a seven or eight point lead, and I started sitting there going like, all right, here we go again, they're going to start falling apart, but credit to them, like they, you know, they weathered the storm and, and started fighting back and, you know, made it, a, I think it was a two point game at halftime and then took over in the second half. Kemba was great. Tristan Thompson, I thought, was a huge a huge piece in that game. He had 12 points, 12 rebounds. Thought he played some great defense. That was the Tristan Thompson I thought we were getting when we signed in the, the offseason. Now, look, he's said multiple times throughout this year that he basically doesn't care about the regular season, right? And he's he's 
going to turn it on in the playoffs. And look, he, he did. He backed up his words in Tuesday night's game. Uh, we'll see how he does against Brooklyn. The other thing I loved, and here, here goes my Marcus Smart rant again, was Smart, you know, seven points, six assists, but he played within his role. You know, only took eight shots. And there were multiple occasions in that game where he passed up an open shot for a better shot. There was one point where he had a wide open three, passed it over to Aaron Neesmith, who had a even better three, and Neesmith knocked it down. Uh, when Tatum was hot in that third quarter, there were a couple of fast breaks where Smart, you know, was looking, actively looking for Tatum and attacked the basket and found Tatum and, and Tatum knocked down a shot. That's what they need Smart to do. And he, I thought he played great defense on, on Westbrook and, and Beal. That's the guy they need Smart to be moving forward. Definitely, yeah. They, they, it was a good. It was a good game to watch. I just hope that Tatum's back is not sore <laughs> for carrying these guys. Uh, I mean, only three guys were in double-digit scoring. The three that we just mentioned: Tatum, Walker, and Thompson. So let's see what's going on. But now let's go ahead and pivot into the big playoff series. The number two seeded Brooklyn Nets will take on the number seven seed. Man, I did not think I'd be saying that. Man, you know when something just hits you, when you're not really expecting it, and then it just smacks you right in the face? Saying that out loud, that the Celtics are the seventh seed was a, it's like a, it's like a cold bucket of water in the face. I don't like it. But either way, they're going to go ahead and square off this Saturday night. We are recording on Friday night, so by the time you listen to this, uh, the game will probably be either tonight or just have happened. But first thing I want to ask, and we just, just talked about it, can Jason Tatum carry this team? Is he ready to be the vessel that takes this team deep into the playoffs? Leave it up. Whoever wants to take it first. So I think he can. I mean, he's shown he can carry this team, right? He's done it on, on numerous occasions throughout the regular season. If, it, if they were playing any other team than Brooklyn, I'd I'd say yes, but I just don't know. Like he could carry them, he could go off for you know thirty five, forty a night, and it still might not be good enough because Brooklyn is just so so good. Um, you know, the the last time they played them, they lost. I think it was a five point game, a, a close game. Brooklyn was without Harden and Durant. Tatum, I think Tatum put up nearly forty in that one. Pritchard had. I think 22 off the bench, Smart had 20, and they still lost. Like, So that that's my fear, is that Tatum could have a monster series, and it still might not be good enough. I think, I think it's obviously going to be tough, okay? And if I'm putting all my personal bias aside, like, as much as it pains me to say this, I, I like I don't see the Celtics winning this series. I mean, you're down Jalen Brown, who has undoubtedly been your second best piece. And at times, like during the season, he's been more reliable than Tatum at times. You're down him. Like a lot of people have Boston getting swept. I don't think Boston's going to get swept. Reason being, I think. The Evan Fournier that we traded for, we haven't really seen too much of. And I think in the grand scheme of things, an Evan Fournier that is on point is not too much of a drop from Jalen Brown. It's still a significant drop, but Fournier is a guy that can put up 30. He can put up 30 in a game. So realistically, if I had to if I had to put a bet down on this game on the series, I'd say Brooklyn in five or six. And reason being, I mean, 
the firepower the Nets have. If you really want to, you know, match up guys, I'd say Tatum and KD match up, and their points probably cancel out. You know, maybe Tatum outscores KD by a few points, but then you match up Kyrie and Kemba. Kyrie's got the advantage there, and then you know Harden and Fournier. I mean, Harden's gonna have the advantage there. So. You know, I don't know. Rob Williams banged up too. I mean, down low, the presence is gonna be gonna be tough. I don't want to see Luke Cornett out there, you know, for 20 minutes. I know that. Tristan Thompson, can he continue to step it up in the playoffs? I don't know. I mean, it's gonna be really tough. And, and the thing that frustrates me the most is Brad Stevens' comments the other day about this series, saying Brooklyn is going to be, you know, he sees. Um, he said, you know, that he uh, doesn't really see this team losing or it's hard to see this team losing, but meaning the Nets. Everyone knows that, Brad. I mean, everybody knows it is tough to see the team with three generational superstars. Everyone knows it's tough to see that team lose. You don't say that, especially to the media. Like, are his players looking at this and being like, all right, coach? Like, why would you say that? Like, I hope so, because I, I know he then said we're going to have to play great basketball again. I mean, that's a given. You, you're going to have to play great basketball in a playoff series. What a shocker. I'm personally not one of the people to be like, we need Brad Stevens out of Boston after this year. I know there's been those people, but that certainly doesn't help his case. So out of everything, I'm really not nervous for this playoff series, I don't think, because I don't really expect the Celtics to win. We're in a position right now where it's like, all right. We shock the world or we do what everyone thinks is going to happen. So I think in that sense, the Celtics are in a pretty damn good spot. I mean, that's where I'd want to be if I was in a playoff series like this. Shock the world. Go do it. Be the 0-4 Red Sox. Have some fun with it. Go out there and play hard and make something happen. You win one game. You get some momentum. Take it from there. But I think it's going to be a really tough series, as Brad Stevens already said. I don't know why he said that. I feel like we can say it on here and not get much criticism. but going to be a tough series but hey maybe the Celtics shock us they have a chance to it's going to be tough but their backs are up against the wall let's see how they handle it I gotta be yes, honest I, I oh uh, real quick I'm just I think I'm a, I'd rather them play the Nets though than the 76ers if that's I, I would too anything. I mean they were terrible against Philly all year and Embiid if they played Philly with a banged up Robert Williams Tristan Thompson sure he looked good in that playing game but you know, obviously we have to see how he does here in this series. If they played Philly with Embiid, I honestly think Embiid would average 60 points in the series. I mean, he has been incredible against Boston this year. So that was one guy I really didn't want to play. I mean, the only the only good thing about this game is that I don't think the Celtics are going to get blown out in the paint. But I, I, but I think it's going to be tough along the perimeter. So um, I, I guess they have that going for him, too. For sure. Now, Jack, you were about to. You were just starting to say something. What was? What were you going to say? Yeah, I was just going to say. Um, you know, Nick was saying that. You know, like be like the 04 Red Sox. Go out, have fun, play hard. That's honestly like at this point, that's all I'm looking for at the end of the se- the end of this season. It's just effort. Like no one, no one expects them to beat Brooklyn in a seven game series. In all honesty, if they had Jalen Brown or Robert Williams fully healthy, I still don't know if they'd be able to beat this team in a seven game series. Brooklyn's just so talented. They have so many superstars, and it's worked for them this year. You know, it, it doesn't always work where you throw three superstars into the mix and they have instant, uh, you know, chemistry and instant success like this, but but it has worked. 
so I just want the Celtics to go go down swinging. Don't go out and get blasted, you know, 20, 25 points every night. Just go out, play hard, uh, you know, win a game or two, and just, you know, make Brooklyn Brooklyn work for it. I will say the one area where I think the Celtics have an advantage is the coach. Because, I mean, Steve Nash's first year as a head coach, you know, if if Brooklyn has to face a little bit of adversity, I'd say the Celtics win one of these first two games, or or if they come out and steal game one, is Steve Nash going to be able to to handle that kind of pressure and deal with egos like like Irving and Durant and and to a lesser extent Harden? Uh, will he be able to manage all of that? You know, when the the pressure's on, um, and he's never coached in a, a playoff series before. I know he's played in in plenty and has had success, but it's a little bit different as a coach trying to make uh, you know in game and in series adjustments. Uh, you know, we saw Jason Kidd try to to be a head coach, and despite his awesome career, it it was a, a huge failure. So I think the Celtics do have an advantage there, but at the end of the day, it comes down to the talent on the court. So I think the talent will trump the coaching. I met Steve Nash two weeks ago, and if I had known that this this playoff matchup was was coming up here, my God, I would have put a voodoo curse on him or something. I would have I would have said something that would have gotten his head, so so he'd be in a coaching just a coaching mix up. <laughs> But my my goodness, what an opportunity! What a missed opportunity that was. You oh. could have saved you the green teamers would have you'd have been a hero, Nick. I could have saved Boston. I could have done it, but you I didn't. Missed opportunity. Really missed opportunity. And hopefully it doesn't come down to the coaches playing one on one because I don't know if Brad Stevens has a chance of beating uh, former MVP so. Steve uh, Steve Steve Nash Steve Nash. Yeah, I don't know. I was blanking on his name after you guys had just said it, but. All right, let's move on to uh, – uh, move on. Moving on, I should say. So, obviously, Jason Tatum is the biggest uh, factor for the Celtics, no question. But what do you, who are some of the names that you guys hope step up or, you know, if this team's going to upset the world and they are going to play the 04 idiots, who's going to be, you know, the Kevin Millar? Who's going to be the, the Bill Miller? Who's going to be – uh, the you know all those guys uh, you know we already know that Tatum is the poppy for you know or the Manny Ramirez you know the superstar but who are gonna be the 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 backup players the role players that step up? My top three it it would be Fournier, Neesmith, and Kemba, and I know those might be the most like generic answers I suppose but it'd be Fournier because as I had mentioned like he's kind of the guy filling in for Brown, um and you. You want to make sure the difference in talent between Fournier and Brown is as minimal as possible, as as small as possible. So if Fournier can put like 25, 5, and 5 right around there, like just somewhere around there, if he can do that consistently, which is I know it's asking a lot from the guy. I, I really do, especially like I don't know how he is, you know, getting over COVID. We saw that really take a toll on Tatum. I know it's a lot. But I, I'm trusting I'm trusting the uh, the Evan Fournier Celtics car voodoo mojo to come into play here and help him perform. If he can do that, that's huge. So I, he's like my number one piece. Like that that needs to be top priority. Fournier needs to play well. Second needs to be Kemba. This guy is an All Star caliber player. We've seen it in the past. He has the potential to perform. He's gonna need to be big. There's been a lot of times this season Kemba hasn't stepped up and. It's cost this team a lot. This team would be over 500 without a doubt if Kemba had played to Kemba standards throughout the entirety of the season. And they'd be in a much better spot right now. 
Third final guy, Neesmith, because, I mean, this guy has shown so much growth and development over the back half of the season. I really love him as a player. He's shown he can score. One thing I absolutely love about him, though, is his rebounding. I mean, this guy has has bunnies, just absolute bunnies. So I think he's going to kind of be one of those guys that is going to crash the boards hard. And you're not really going to realize. I know Brooklyn's not expecting this guy to put up nice rebounding numbers throughout the series. But if he can average like right around six rebounds, I mean, that's fantastic. And, and obviously that depends on how much playtime he gets. But he's been an increasing player in this rotation. So I think we're going to see a lot of playtime from him. So if Neesmith can produce off the bench, you got Kemba playing at the level he's capable of and Fournier reducing that talent gap that he has with Brown. I think this team is in a manageable spot to steal a few games from Brooklyn. Are they going to go on and win the series? I don't know. But if they want any chance of shocking the world, those three guys are going to have to step up big time. Deck, what are some of the names that you're hoping step up and help Tatum carry this team or try to carry this team past the Nets? I mean, honestly, just just anyone. I mean, obviously, look, if, if Tatum's not at his best, this team doesn't have a chance. Like, he has to be outstanding, and then other guys have to chip in. Whether it's Kemba, Fournier, Neesmith, Pritchard, like someone. He's got to get support from from someone. Um, so, I mean, just a couple other guys that, that Nick didn't mention. Uh, Tristan Thompson and Marcus Smart. The Celtics are going to win this. If they're going to win this series, it's going to be on defense. They're not going to, you know, outscore Brooklyn if the game's in the 120s or 130s, the way they're going to beat them is if they can win, I say low scoring, like, you know, low 100s, if they can manage Brooklyn, um, you know, manage to keep them there. So a guy like like Smart and, and his defense and just impacting the ball and making things difficult. And then Tristan Thompson, I mean, that, you know, Nick mentioned that's, that's an area where the Celtics have an advantage in the paint. So if Thompson can be solid in the paint, solid on the glass, uh, be that rim protecting presence and even Robert Williams and I know he's not hundred percent, but it sounds like he may give it a go in game one, just someone to, to make guys think twice about attacking the basket and then rebounding, making sure Brooklyn only gets one shot. You can't give this team multiple opportunities. So I, I really think it's anyone who's on the floor has to contribute in some way. It's, it's truly going to take a, a team effort, but it all starts with Tatum. If he is not at his best, this team doesn't stand a chance. No question. I mean, they needed every bit of that 50 points the other night to get past the the bullets. So, uh, you know, that's that. So we're about to wrap up here. We've kind of covered all our bases. Any last takes, any last opinions, any last things you guys want to say before we do our last thing and get on out of here? I would just say, I mean, shock the world. I mean, come on. Like, why not? You know? might as well. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you might as well. Li- like, literally, I have – Zero. I mean, it's kind of nice. I kind of like being in this position for once. I feel like for my entire life, I've always been going into, you know, championships and playoff series, having to kind of be on the edge of my seat and scared. And oh, my God, like we have to live up that bubbly guts, that that, that butterflies in 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 your stomach there. Yes. Like we have to live up to this crazy bar set that, uh, you know, has been established over the past 20 years. But I mean, right now, man, I'm feeling good. Like, I'm going to sit back. I mean, watch the Seas. Will they get swept in four games? I mean, probably. But still, like, shock the world. Why not? Like, I feel like this team should have zero pressure whatsoever, like, at all. I mean, no pressure whatsoever. 
and I know there's going to be pressure. I mean, you're in the NBA. It's a playoff series, but literally no one expects you to win. I mean, no one does. I mean, you were the underdog against the Wizards the other night. The Wizards. So I feel like coming into this game, or this series rather, just play light, play your game. I mean, you're, you're getting you're getting people from all over the world, all over the globe, international NBA fans saying that Brooklyn is going to get by you in four games. I mean, hang that up on the bulletin board, hang it up in the locker room, hang it up above your bed so when you wake up in the morning, it's the first thing you see, and shock the world. Because why not? So that's my final thought on that. Derek, anything? Yeah, I mean, all the pressure is, is certainly on Brooklyn, so Celtics can just go out, play free, and, and see what can happen. If if it's going to happen, they've got to... They've got to start fast, and I mean, win one of these first two games and get Brooklyn thinking, right? If if Brooklyn comes in and and wipes the floor with them these first two games, and this this series is probably over. But the Celtics can steal one in Brooklyn, then a little bit of doubt starts to creep in. You know, the Celtics go back to Boston with with home court advantage now, uh, and they've got you know a little bit more fans in the building, and then again that little bit of doubt, and maybe the Nets get a little bit tighter. Um, so yeah, I mean that's they just gotta play free, play hard, and we'll see what happens. It's actually just made me think of a quick question. If Jason Tatum goes off, Jason Tatum carries his team, scores a bunch, does that change kind of how they attack next year? You know, maybe a little bit more embracing Tatum being the biggest scorer? Um I mean I think I don't know if it changes things too much because I still see him as the the top option on this team, even with Jalen Brown on the on the team. Now, um, you know, maybe that affects some of the guys they they put around him. I mean, I I would hope they think that you know Tatum's the type of guy that can lead this team to a championship. I hope they already think that because of the the contract they gave him. Um, but maybe if they see him single handedly carry this team a, a round or two, maybe it just reinforces it and they they get a little bold in the off season and, you know, try and make that, that big move to to push this team over the top. But I'm not sure how much things could change from an organizational standpoint. I think they already see Tatum as that guy. Now maybe people around the league might take notice and, and view Tatum, Tatum a little differently, but I don't think the, the people inside the Celtics organization will. I'm going to have kind of a bold take on this. I think it might be a little, a little bit hot, but, um, if Jason Tatum has an unbelievable series, say he averages like 30 or more points, and the Celtics get by the Nets. So Jason Tatum literally carries his team single-handedly and puts them by the Brooklyn Nets. I would put zero up in the Raptors immediately. I mean, immediately. I just throw it right up there, literally copy-paste it right onto one of those banners and raise that puppy right up into the Raptors as soon as the series ends. Because it will be one of the best stories in Celtics basketball that we've seen in like the past 40 years. Honest to God, if Jason Tatum can carry this team past the Brooklyn Nets, it is going to be something that you'll be telling your kids, your kids will be telling their kids, and so on for generations. Every, everyone, I feel like every kid born in Boston, in Massachusetts over the next like 30 years, Going to be named Jason with a Y in there, J-A-Y-S-O-N. I mean, it's going to be amazing. This this has so many implications, or it could have so many implications 
for Jason Tatum right here. If he carries the Boston Celtics past the Brooklyn Nets, I mean, this guy is cementing his spot in Boston sports history forever. I mean, this is this is huge. Yeah, you just said I was going to say it cements his legacy as a Celtic. I mean, this would be one of the the all-time great moments in in Celtics history because they haven't had too many situations like this where they've been a huge underdog in the playoffs, right? I mean, they were, I think, in maybe first or second season under Brad Stevens where they were the eight seed and they got rolled in the first round by the Cavs. But, I mean, this is truly a a, a unique situation for, for the Celtics. So, yeah, I mean, if he single-handed, if he goes out and averages, you know, like, 40 to 45 a night and, and carries his team past the, the super team of the Brooklyn Nets. Yeah, that's that definitely cements his legacy. All right. So last thing, and I promise this is the last one now. Give me your prediction for the series against the Brooklyn Nets. I'd say Nets, Nets in six. I just, I don't, I don't see, I don't see. I mean, I'll obviously be rooting for the Celtics to pull it out, but I just don't think this outside of a, a major injury to to one of the big three in Brooklyn, I just think they've got too much firepower. And I don't I don't think anyone in the league can beat this team when fully healthy in a seven game series. I, I think the Nets are gonna win it all. Oh man. I so so badly wanna be that guy to be like, oh Celts in seven, Celts in six. But uh yeah, I, I mean I I gotta go like Brooklyn in five. I mean I just have to be rational about all this as much as i don't want to i'm usually very irrational when it comes to boston sports um but yeah i mean that's that's in five if, if boston if boston can steal a game i just think that's great you know i mean but i just feel like uh, brooklyn man i mean it's it's a different a different breed so uh unfortunately brooklyn in, in five just like Derek though i'm rooting for the seas really pushing hard for him but the NBA analyst in me cannot pick the Celtics on this one. Yeah, usually I miss the positivity. Usually I miss the silver linings. Usually I am siding with the Boston team. Not this time. Uh, I'm going to go with the Nets in five, and I really want to go Nets in four, but I just don't like predicting sweeps in professional sports, so I'll go with Nets in five. Man, that stinks to say. But that's going to wrap up tonight's show. Over here at Boston Sports Syndicate, we'd like to thank Manscaped. Manscaped is the leader of below-the-belt grooming, the home of the Lawnmower 4.0. If you find your way over to the manscaped.com and type in BSS at checkout, you will get 20% off your order and free shipping. That's not all. Over here at the Boston Sports Syndicate, we would like to thank SeatGeek. The world is starring. Stadiums are filling up. Games are being able to be seen in public. So if you want to get your tickets, go to the SeatGeek app, type in BSS at checkout, and you can also get 20% there. So you can find me on Twitter. I am at MattyKeyWoom. Find Derek on Twitter at McVay34. Find Nick on Twitter at the Nick Galley. And you can also find us on Twitter at AboveTheParquet or the Boston Sports SYN on Twitter, NIG. You can check out all the written content at www.bostonsportscenter.com. Podcast on the BSS Network, on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure you check out our BSS Twitch. Uh, they're doing great work over there now, doing a lot of stuff uh, you know, throughout the week. So make sure you check out Twitch as well. And buy merch on the website. Get your stuff at whenever you want to on the website. So I'm Matty Kubel for Nick and for Derek. Have a great night and take it easy. Boston Sports Syndicate. 
music for the Boston Sports Syndicate provided by IMCDM.